Well, glory. Get your Bible. Turn to the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians in chapter 1. We started in the first chapter. Oh, we didn't get too far, but we, it was a start. We talked about the, the gospel of Jesus Christ and that it is by grace and not of works. And God says there is not another gospel of the same kind. There's not another gospel of the different kind. There is not another gospel. The gospel we're talking about is the message by which a man is saved and has eternal life. The, the message we're talking about is the one you take into all the world and explain to people how they can be certain of eternal life. And it's by grace and grace alone. And the test of the gospel is grace. Is it free? If the message that people talk about preaching to the gospel, if it isn't totally free, it's not the gospel. The gospel means without works. It's without works. It's by grace. Grace is the absence of human efforts. So God does not save a man because he promises to live right or because of any good deeds that he does or any amount of money he may give. Joining a church will not get a person to heaven. Giving money, though I don't mind you doing it, won't get you to heaven. It won't even help get your little pinkies one inch closer to the pearly gates. Salvation is truly a gift of God. But look what he says in verse 6. This is a little review on this real quick. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ into another gospel. So if they were changed into another gospel, it means they started preaching works for salvation. So that's the only other kind of gospel there is. There is a gospel that is free of works, and it's by grace, and it's free. When you add any works to it, then it's another message. It is not the same message. And I preached a sermon not long ago, and it dealt with, if you want to see the face of God, you have to understand the gospel. The gospel is how you get to know a little bit about God. And so when you really understand the gospel, then you'll understand about what God is like. If God says, he loves me, but I have to pay my way to heaven. No, wait a minute. And I say, well, what do I have to do? He said, just be perfect. Okay, we got a problem. I can't be perfect. So what Jesus Christ did, God's son, came into the world, died on the cross, and paid for how many sins? All the sins of the world. Now, if he paid for all of your sins, then you don't have any to pay for. They're all paid. All you have to do is accept what he did for you, and God gives you eternal life. And you get to go to heaven because it's a gift. It's totally free. Now, he says here in verse 7, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. You see, the reason it troubles you, any time you teach works for salvation, you cause a person that mental anguish. It really does. Because now his salvation going to heaven depends upon how good he is. So now he doesn't know if he's good enough to make it, or if he's bad enough not to make it. He don't know where he stands anymore. See, as long as you knew it was free, you knew you had eternal life. You'd go into heaven when you die, and you ain't got to worry about it. I have not had to worry about where I'm going to go for 49 years. But if I believe that a man has to be good to get to heaven, that changes everything. Because now I know, how long do I have to be good? And just how good? Well, you've got to go to church. Okay, which church? Well, you've got to give money. How much? What if I don't have any? What if I gave it all? Then I starved to death. And then find out it didn't work and I go to hell. <laughs> 
You have to understand salvation is the gift of God. But he says in verse 8, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. In other words, the message is an accursed message. It doesn't save a person. The message is accursed. And so God says, sever yourself from anybody who preaches an accursed message, a message that won't save. That's why it's not wise for anybody to go to a church where the preacher preaches works for salvation. Because a works for salvation message is a, an accursed message. It won't save. Uh, look what he says here in Galatians in chapter 5. That's just jumping ahead in just a little bit, but it's okay. But look at verse 1 of chapter 5. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And the only way you can stand fast in liberty is that uh, it was totally free. If I have to do something to save myself, now I'm in bondage. Because now I'm enslaved, I've got to perform. I've got to go to church. I've got to give money. I've got to live right. I've got to do this. I can't do that. I can't. It's, a, it's bondage. It's like putting yourself in a prison. And that's what religion does. That's why I hate religions. Religions are man-made. <laughs> Come from two Latin words, re and legio, meaning to bind back. And there's people trying to bind themselves back to God by their religion. Religion will not work. Remember when Christ came, it was the religious people that he had the problem with. They're the ones that wanted him crucified. Who? The religious people. Because what Jesus said and what the religious leader said wasn't the same thing. And so today... We tell people that it's by grace and grace alone. Well, I can't. that's too easy. You've got to do something. They just can't believe that it's free. Free. So he says in verse 1, And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. In other words, where you're in slavery and you have to perform. So he says, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, If you be circumcised in order to be saved, Christ profits you nothing. In other words, there's no value there. People say, well, I'm trusting Christ, but i got to do good just in case. So that means you're not really trusting Him. You're trusting in your good works. And if you don't perform, you don't make it. That's not salvation by grace. That's salvation by work. So that means you're going to heaven depending on how you live. So that means you are the Savior, not Christ. You're saying the words Christ. You're referring to Christ, but you're not trusting Christ. You must trust Him and Him alone as your only hope of getting there. I'm not going to heaven because I'm a preacher. I'm not going to heaven because I, you know, I read the Bible and I study and I go to church and I, I, I give money and all. That's not why I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven because 49 years ago, in a little old room in Athens, Georgia, I trusted Christ as my Savior. And He saved me. I was just as much saved that moment as I am today. I had eternal life then, I got it now. It hasn't changed. I am just as secure as I have always been. And how I live, does it make it more secure or more unsecure? It doesn't work that way. I'm going to heaven because of what Christ did. Ooh, I like that. But look what he says in verse 4. Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever are justified by the law. In other words, if you're seeking to be justified by your works, then Christ doesn't count. I mean, it's of no avail. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't profit you anything. You say, well, I'm trusting Christ. Where are you going to die? Well, hell, if I don't change. <laughs> then what did you need Him for? He has nothing to do with it. It all depends on you and how you live. 
So in the back of most people's minds, they think, well, how you live ought to determine where you go. And it doesn't work that way. Because if all of us went according to how we live, we'll all go to hell. Nobody has ever lived so good they deserve to go to heaven. There isn't no such person. For all have sinned and come short of God's perfection. Now, if you want to go to heaven by your good works, all you got to do is be perfect. Now, who gets to go? Nobody. Nobody gets to go. Uh, look what he says here in uh, Galatians in chapter 2. Look there in verse uh, 21. He says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. That means I do not set it aside. In other words, grace can only work if you accept it by faith. You cannot have grace by your works. They're opposite. They don't work that way. Grace means without works. Works means without grace. It means if it's free, it's free. But if it's by works, then it can't be free. But if it's free, it can't be by works. Wouldn't that make sense? So he says in verse 21, I do not frustrate the grace of God for if, get this, if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. I mean, there was no purpose, no reason for him to die if you have to earn your way to heaven. So the book of Galatians is clear. He said, well, where did Paul get such a message? Well, you see there in verse 10 of chapter 1, he says, but I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not from man. In other words, I didn't get this message from any individual. I didn't get it from the other apostles. Remember, the apostle Paul didn't run around with the crowd. He wasn't in there when Jesus was on the earth. He was persecuting the church, putting them in prison, slaughtering people. So, he was a bad man. So one day on the road to Damascus, or to get some papers so that he could put more people in prison, a bright and shining light. But look what he says in verse 12. Verse 12. He said, For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, I got it straight from the Lord. Jesus Christ. Now, if the Apostle Paul says that he got it from the Lord, now he's one of two things here. He's either telling the truth or he's lying. True? He says, I got this from God. He said, I didn't get it from man. Now, if he's telling the truth, then man didn't originate this gospel. If he got it from God, then it came from God. So God is the one that says there's a heaven. I've never seen it. God's the one that says there's a hell. I've never seen that. I really don't care to. You know, if he would just let us dangle over the pits of hell, just for maybe five, ten seconds, it might convince every one of us to trust the Lord, huh? You know, just uh, give you a little warm-up. <laughs> But I'm glad that I don't have to, to go to hell. I, I, and what I like about I can't go to hell. See, to live for 49 years knowing I can't go there. It's impossible for me to go there. I can't go today. I can't go tomorrow. I can't never go to hell. You say, because you think you're so good? Yeah, no. It's because I believe Christ died and paid for my sins and I trust Him as my Savior. He's my Savior. Saving me from what? From hell. I, that's why I trusted Him. So I wouldn't go there. I've had a person say one time, well, you ought not trust the Lord as fire insurance. I thought that's a pretty good reason to trust Him. Come to think of it, that's exactly why I trusted the Lord. I didn't know God, didn't love God. I was told He loved me. And He didn't want me to go to hell. And after I heard about that, that, that I didn't want to go there either. <laughs> so I trusted Christ as my Savior. Now, the next few verses really get interesting. 
Because here's the Apostle Paul. Now remember now, he was, he was a Pharisee himself. So he was way up there in the Jews' religion. I mean, he must have been somebody. But he says, I was high in the Jews' religion. He says, above many my own equal or my own age. So even as a young man, he done creamed and rose to the top real quick. So I guess he would say he's one of the top-notch boys. So in verse 13 he says, For ye have heard of my conversation, that means his behavior, his manner of life, in time past in the Jews' religion. So Paul says, hey, I was in religion. I was in the Jews' religion. The religion of Judaism. Now, what was so wrong with that? I thought they're the God's chosen people. You're supposed to believe what they believe. Yep, but see, they didn't believe what God had told them. God gave them the law in the Old Testament. You know, thou shalt not. And he told them these things not to do. He gave them the moral law, the civil law, the sacrificial laws. He gave them all these laws. And as a nation, they were supposed to obey that, and God would bless them and so forth. And they didn't. He'd smack them. But as an individual, doing those things never saved an individual. It just gave them national blessings or God's chastening from other countries. Individually, they still had to trust the Lord and believe on the Lord. They had to understand what those sacrifices was about. They had to believe that uh, the Messiah was to come and to die and pay for their sins. And all those sacrifices they made were only a type of it. So they forgot the reason for it and just did the rituals. But just like people today. God wants his people to go to church. Does he want us to go to church to go to heaven? No. But are there people today who go to church thinking that going to church or reading their Bible and praying and giving is going to get them to heaven? Yeah. So they're trusting in their rituals. These are things that we do, but we don't do them to get to heaven. So there's a lot of people that go to church, and there'll be churches filled all over America. And they're doing that so they can go to heaven when they die. In other words, look how good I am today. Now, it won't matter what I am like on Monday through Saturday, but on Sunday I was in church. And I gave some money. So therefore, I'm covered. I'm good to go till next Sunday. That's religion. That won't work. Paul was high up in their news religion. And look what he says. He says, how that beyond measure, I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. Look down in verse 23. Down in verse 23 says, but they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preached the faith which once he destroyed. So the Apostle Paul was a bad man, and he did everything he could to destroy Christians. And in his mind, he thought he was doing God a favor. He thought he was doing the work of God by trying to stop these people because what they were teaching was something contrary to the religion of Judaism. And they had to be loyal and faithful, and they were willing to kill protect their religion. You know, I know some religions today, they'll kill you if you don't believe like they believe. You ever heard of the religion of Islam? The religion of Islam is more a political than a religion, but it's a belief system, but it's also a political system. And the religion is uh, it's man-made. It didn't come from God. Man made up that religion. All the religions of the world that have works in their message on how to get to heaven and you have to earn it, that's man-made. The one that God made and God gave to Paul was... It's free. And all the other religions want to charge. It's kind of like this. 
the King James Version. It's not copyrighted. So anybody can use it. Anybody can copy it. All the other versions are copyrighted. Why? Because it's made for money. So they have to change at least 10% of it in order to make it different so that they can charge for it. And so they make it easier to understand. Now, is it better to have one that's easy to understand, but it ain't accurate? Or is it better to have one that's really accurate, but it might be a little difficult to understand? And that's only because there are certain words that have changed, but I've been using the King James all these years. And therefore, I don't have to worry about it. I can copy this and paste it and do whatever I want to do with it, but all the other versions, you can't do that with it. Because, see, they did that for money. It's not because they want to get the Bible in more people's hands. The Bible was already the most popular, read book, sold book in the world. So anyway, I don't know how y'all got me sidetracked on that. Y'all. But look what he says down in verse 14. He said, and profited, profited in the Jews' religion. Now this is the great apostle Paul. I want you to see something because it really throws a little light on him. Hold your place right here and look in the book of Philippians in chapter 3. The book of Philippians in chapter 3. And look what he says. A lot about himself. But in Philippians in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Finally, my brethren. So he's writing to those that do believe the truth, that have trusted Christ as Savior. He says, Rejoice in the Lord. Now, you know where he's writing from? (laughs) Prison. And he says, Rejoice in the Lord. Isn't somebody that's in prison writing to those people that's on the outside? Hey, let me encourage you. It seems like that would be backwards today, wouldn't it? In verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Dogs? It's really a reference to the the people that are trying to do you in. Now, as as a Jew, they used to call the Gentiles dogs. I ain't making that up now. That's what I'm not saying that. Even when he was on the cross, he says, dogs have compassed me round about, which was a reference to the Gentiles. Christ said that. But it was a reference to what they do. They're vicious, and they want to devour you and tear you apart. He says so, he says in verse 2, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision, which worship God in the Spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. You ought to underline that phrase, no confidence in the flesh. That means that you and I should not put any confidence in our flesh. That means by what I do can save me. Why would I think that anything that I do could save me? Don't put confidence in the flesh or in your good works. Like, I'm trusting in my money that I give. I trust in my good deeds that I do. And I trust in... Don't do that, he says. Here what else he says. Look in verse 4. Though I... And he's referring to himself now as a religious man. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. He said, now, look who I am. Verse 5. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, touching the law, a Pharisee. That's what he says about himself. He's somebody... He said, I was way up there in the Jewish religion. He said, look at me. And if you think that being good is going to get you to heaven, look how good I was. So he says in verse 8, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. 
touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Doesn't mean he was perfect, but he was blameless. In other words, if he broke the law, he did what you had to do to correct the problem, and so he could be declared blameless. So the man was an awesome man, but he was religious, but he was lost. And look what he says about all those good things that he did. Look who he was. Now, he knew the law. He tried to live by the law. And people today trying to earn their way to heaven. Paul says, I've been there, done that. So he says in verse 7, But what things were gained to me in the flesh? Those I counted lost for Christ. In other words, I had all of that, but I didn't have Christ. That makes the difference. You can have all your good works and not have Christ. So he says here, in verse 8, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. In other words, I'd rather have Christ than have all that other thing that I'm trusting in. He said all those things is confidence in the flesh, because he talks about what he did, what he believed, the sacrifices that he made. But that was all works for salvation. And he says, I had confidence in the flesh, in what I could do, but I didn't have Christ. So look in verse 9. Verse 9 ought to knock your socks off. You ought to underline this verse in your Bible. Look what Paul says here. He says, and be found in him, talking about Christ, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Now, in this verse, there's two righteousness mentioned. One is the by works righteousness and a by faith righteousness. In other words, there's the righteousness that I do. And he says, don't put confidence in the flesh. And whenever you die or when the Lord comes, don't be found having your own righteousness, trusting in your works to get you to heaven. God's already said it won't work. But... There is a by faith righteousness. In other words, by faith, you trust Christ as your Savior, and Christ gives you His righteousness. Now, if God gave you His righteousness, that would make you as righteous as God. If I was made as righteous as God, if He gave me His righteousness, that makes me as righteous as God. I go to heaven on His righteousness. Now, would you rather go to heaven on yours or His? So whenever He comes, or whenever you die... How do you want to be found? In him or in your own righteousness? So he says, be found in him, not having mine own right. Not, that means not trusting in your going to church, not trusting in your keeping the law, not trusting in your money, because God's already said. And there's going to be a lot of people going to be very surprised, because that's exactly what they're trusting in. For example, a lot of people tell me, I've trusted Christ as my Savior. I know I'm going to heaven when I die. Sounds good so far. Then I asked him a simple little question like, is there anything you can do between now and the time that you die that could keep you from going to heaven? Oh, yeah. Then you don't get it. You don't get it. Because if there's anything you can do that could keep you from going to heaven, that means that you're not doing that is why you're going. So you're trusting in your works. Because if you do bad works, you're not going to make it. But if you do live right, you will make it. So your salvation doesn't depend upon Him. 
depends upon you. You're not trusting Christ as Savior. Boy, it would be great if a lot of people could understand what I'm saying. But they don't, they don't get it. They don't understand it. Go back to Galatians. So little by little, see, there was these legalistic Judaizers that would follow the Apostle Paul around, and whenever they could, they would take those people that he reached and retrain them. So, you know, the Apostle Paul, he, he doesn't know everything. You know, he wasn't with the other disciples in Jerusalem. I mean, he's really a nobody. Now, let me tell you. And so then they mingle the works in there. This is what you got. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to keep the law of Moses to be saved. So they changed the message. And Paul says, I am amazed that you're so soon, so quickly, removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ into another gospel, which is not another one. But there'll be some that will trouble you. And this is why there's people that don't know where they're going when they die. Why? Because if I met a guy on the street and I says, um, I, I, how, do you know how to get to heaven? No. Well, then you're lost. <laughs> you don't know how to get there from where you are. Do you know how to get there? Then you don't, you're lost. I always like to get a man lost before I try to get him saved. But anyway, look in Galatians. He says, in verse 14, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my fathers. So he says, I know what it's like to have a zeal. He says, I've been there. Hold your place here. But look there in the book of Romans. Uh, Romans in chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. And look in verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul. Now remember, he's, uh, he's an Israelite. But he says in verse 1, he says, Brethren, he says, My prayer and heart's desire for Israel is that they might be what? Might be saved. He says, in verse 2, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. That's what he was like. He had this zeal. He was zealous of the tradition of his fathers. He knew the law. He knew the tradition. And buddy, he was going to kill those that... Try to mess up their little religious plan that they've got going. He was a Pharisee. Now today we would call a Pharisee a hypocrite. They talk, but they don't do. But anyway, he says, For I bear them record they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Remember, there's two things that I've mentioned concerning these verses. You can have zeal, and you can have knowledge. Sometimes you have a zeal, the desire. Boy, I want to do something for the Lord. I want to do something. But you don't have the knowledge, it leads to frustration. But some people, they've got the knowledge on how to do a lot of things. But they don't have any zeal. That leads to frustration too. So, with zeal and no knowledge, it's frustrating. Because you don't know how to do what you want to get done. You want to do something, but you don't know what. And when you're limited in knowledge, you're limited in ministry. So that's why you learn, so that you'll know how to do. And then hopefully in the process, you don't lose the zeal. Whenever I was 22 years old, I had decided I'm going to go to Bible school. And my father-in-law did everything he could to talk me out of going to Bible school. He says, because Yankee, he says, you'll go to Bible school and you'll lose your fire. He's right now you're on fire and you want to win souls and you want to do things and you want to go, 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 go. He says, you'll go to some seminary and some cemetery and they'll, they'll kill you. Those dead teachers will cause you to be dead. Boy, am I glad I found me a, a teacher that was on fire. That was Ray Stanford, and Hank Lindstrom was down at Florida Bible College teaching, and I had him for one of my classes. 
Still don't remember what ever taught me, but I was in the class. And anyway, so that I don't want you to lose the zeal that you have. Don't you lose your zeal. I'll come up there and whoop you to half within an inch of your life. But anyway, here in the Romans he says, in verse 3, look in verse 3. They have a zeal, but not according to knowledge. He says, for they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their, what? Own righteousness. Isn't that an awesome verse? It says, what they were ignorant of, they were trying to establish their own righteousness. And he says, and not, get the last part of that verse, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And get verse 4. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that does what? Believe. That's all you have to do is believe. And people say, well, you've got to do something. All you have to do is believe it. Trust Him. The only reason I'm going to heaven is because I'm trusting Christ to take me to heaven when I die. Now, my going to heaven depends on Him, not me. It doesn't depend on this church. It doesn't depend on my wife. It doesn't depend on how I live. And people say, well, that means you can just go out here and live like the devil and still go to heaven when you die. Well, it's better than living like you please and going to hell. I'd rather live like I please and go to heaven. Duh. If it's by grace, it's grace. People say, well, that means you can just go out here and live wrong. Well, 49 years I've been trying to live as holy and godly as I can. Not to get to heaven. Because I'm going there. I just believe that if I'm a child of God, I ought to live like it. I think if I'm a child of God, I will use the language of the court. I'll try to memorize his word. I mean, these are the words of the king. And I'm a child of the king. So you learn it. Anyway, go back to the book of Galatians. You know, it's going to take us six years to get to Galatians. This rate. Well, it's y'all's fault. It takes so long to turn to the pages. Look here in Galatians in chapter 1. And look in verse 15. Now, th- this, is, this is really awesome. It's all the way back to, hey, let me start at the beginning. <laughs> when he's born. Now, I believe there's two births that could be referred to here. One, the physical birth, and the other one, when he was born into God's family. But he talks about when God separated me from my mother's womb. It's kind of like what you... You need to see what he says about it in Jeremiah chapter 1. Look there and hold your place right here. We'll come back. I don't know what in the world y'all are laughing about. It's Jeremiah chapter 1. I want you to see this because it relates to it. And you'll see, If this is true about Jeremiah, and if it's true about Paul, did you know there might be some truth in here about you? You might be able to relate to some of this. Look there in verse 4 of the first chapter in Jeremiah. He said in verse 4, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew you. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, or set you apart for a particular job. Or is there something I wanted you to do? He says, And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Lord God, Behold, I cannot speak. I'm a child. The Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, but I want you to go and do everything that I tell you to do. And Jeremiah could have said, Hey, wait, 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 wait. I didn't ask to be born. 
Who did? Did you ask to be born? But here we are. Lo and behold. But he said, look, this is God's will for me before I was ever born. Now, I don't believe in the fatalistic predestination type teaching. I believe that Jeremiah could have rebelled against the will of God. It's the will of God for him and what God wanted for him, but he had a choice in whether to do it or not. God has a will for me. God's not willing that any should perish. Does that mean nobody's going to perish? No, they're still going to perish. Why? Because they don't trust Christ as Savior. He is the Savior of the world. Does that mean the world's saved? No. But He's the only Savior in the world, and all those who trust Him can have eternal life. He that believeth in me hath everlasting life. And then you don't have it until you believe. So even though God has a will for His life, He had to choose whether or not to obey it or not. He even got to one place, He says, I determined I'm not going to say another word for God. I will not speak. And then he says, but his word was in my bones as a flame of fire, and it could not stay. I could not hold back. I had to do it. And this is what the word of God can do for you. And it can burn inside of you, and that's what that zeal comes from. You want to do something. And so look what he says in verse 9. Then the Lord put forth his hand, touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. And this is what I want you to do. And he told him what to do. Now, go back there to the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians in chapter 1. In verse 15, he says, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. Now, he was born into this world and there came a time when he saw the light. I guess he could really sing that song. I saw the light. Because he saw the light on the Damascus road. And Jesus Christ appeared to him as one born out of due time. I'll explain all that later when I get into it. We'll go to the book of Acts chapter 9. But it's really it's an awesome story. It really is. But now, why did God save him? Look what he says. By his grace. Now, he was already in the Jews' religion. He'd already done all these wonderful good works. And he was already a Pharisee. He was as religious as they come. But he says, I was ignorant of God's righteousness. So when the Lord shone upon him and revealed to him, he says, I was saved by grace. And why didn't God just take him on to heaven at that time and leave it there? Look what the next verse says. And you ought to underline the first part of it. To reveal his son in me. To reveal His Son in me. That's what God did for you and for me. So God wants to reveal His Son in us. And then the last part of that verse says, that I might preach Him among the heathen. And so He says, when I heard and I understood what God wanted me to do, He said, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. He says, but I spent three years on the backside of Arabian desert, just me and the Lord. See what He says? He says in verse 17, Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them that were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. So he didn't go to Jerusalem for a, a, a while there. But he spent time with the Lord, and the Lord 
educated him, and the Lord used him in a great and wonderful way. Anyway, he says, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God, I lie not. Is that a lie not? Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by faith unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preached the faith which once he destroyed, and they glorified God in me. Uh, that last verse is a good verse to underline in the Bible. And they glorified God in me. They saw what God had done for me. They saw how God had changed me. They could see me living for God. Now, they were apostles at the beginning. They didn't want nothing to do with Paul. Because they knew the reputation that he had. He was a bad man. They didn't trust him. And a guy named Barnabas, which uh, he was like a, a comforter who came alongside, and he helped him. And caused some of the others to, to live by a little acceptance. And Paul had to even flee for his life. They had to take him over a basket, a, a wall in a basket, because they was going to kill him. Forty people at one time took out a vow. We're going to kill this man. We're not going to eat and sleep until we kill this man. Now, stop and think. How, how many times has that happened to you? Has anybody threatened you lately? They said something and it hurt my feelings. Do we ever get feelings hurt? Although I do. I get my feelings hurt. You get your feelings hurt. But how many times have we been stoned? I don't mean that way. <laughs> Paul says I was beaten with rods, but uh, you know he wasn't a race car driver either. Words have changed just a little bit, but it's important for you and I to understand that. Look, we have an awesome message. This gospel that we have is not preached by everybody. Everybody don't know this message. All churches don't understand the truth of the gospel. And it's so important. Uh, look up here. You happen to be here this morning. Maybe you've seen this before. Maybe you haven't. But it won't matter. You can watch it one more time. Watch my hand. At no time will it ever leave my wrist. I am not a magician. Nothing's going to happen. I just want to illustrate something. This is you and me. This book represents all the bad things we do. God calls it sin. It doesn't matter what you call it. God calls it sin. It's rebellion to God. It's imperfection, whatever it is. And we all have sinned. And God says to pay for what we did wrong is death and hell. So since everybody sins, everybody's condemned. And God says, this hand represents Jesus Christ. Say, he's the Lord. God in the flesh, he doesn't have any sin. But our sin separates us from the Lord. So I can't get to him, he can't get to me. Now if you die like this, see, you will be eternally separated from God. So you don't want to die like this. So what Christ did was something wonderful. He said, if we pay for sin, it's eternal separation from the Lord. And to go to heaven, you've got to be perfect. No sin. Well, you've got a debt. You've got to pay it. And God says, you can't pay for it by your good life. There's only one thing that God wants, and that's death. The wage of sin is death. The soul that's sin shall die. So when Christ came into the world, it was appointed unto every man once to die, and so Christ died for every man. So this hand represents Jesus Christ. He is perfect. 
no sin. He came into the world because he loves us, but not our sin. It separates us. So what Christ did is he went to the cross and he paid for our sins. Now he did this 2,000 years ago. Paid for all of our sins and all that we have to do is believe that he did it for us. And he says that uh, he would give us as a free gift everlasting life. So he died, paid for the sins, came back from the dead. And God says, if I will simply believe it. Now if you try to earn your way to heaven, you're not trusting him. If you think you've got to go to church and do all these good deeds to get you to heaven, then you're not trusting him. You can't trust both. You can't put confidence in Christ and confidence in the flesh. Flesh is a reference to you. You can't have any part in this. He wants all the credit, all the honor, all the glory because he's the one that did all the work. That just makes sense to me. So he made the payment for the sins of the world and said if you would believe he did it for you, he would give you as a free gift everlasting life. And in this everlasting life, it lasts forever and you get to go to heaven whenever you die. See, it's so simple, so simple. Even a little child, a little child can understand it. And that's why he says, it's a, suffer or permit the little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And so all you've got to do is just, as a child, I'm a sinner. Believe he loves you and pay for your sins and God said he'd save you and give you a free gift, everlasting life. Isn't that good news? That's the best news in all the world. Let's have prayer, shall we? Every head bowed, every eye closed. No one looking around. If you're here this morning, I'm not going to have you forward. I'm not going to have you join anything. I don't want your money. Keep it. I want you to talk to the Lord. I want you to understand that only the true and living God knows what you're thinking. So you don't become a religious hypocrite because you're not promising to stop anything. You're not committing to doing anything. All you're going to do is accept what he did for you. So would you just believe that he loved you and paid for your sins and came back from the dead? And would you trust him, depend upon him, to take you to heaven whenever you die? If you will, I'd like to have prayer for you. And I do it with head bowed and eyes closed because I don't want you to be embarrassed. I'm not going to pin you up against the wall and try to trap you in any way. But right where you're sitting, say, Preacher, that made sense to me. And I want to be certain of going to heaven when I die. So this morning, right now, I will accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. And preach, I'd like you to pray for me. Would you just slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down? Give me a ball. Just slip it up very quickly, put it right back down. And say, yes, that made sense to me. There's no tricks to it, no gimmicks. God loves you that much that he would give you eternal life. That when you get up to leave, you can say, hey, I'm going to heaven when I die. Today I trusted Christ as my Savior. And he said, he'd never cast me out, never lose me. I know I'm going to heaven because it's free. Anyone else before we close? Our Father, we do thank you so much for all you've done for us and for the one that indicated by an uplifted hand that they would trust your Savior. By doing so, they become your child, born into your family, and given the free gift of eternal life. And then you'll never cast them out and never lose them. We ask your blessings upon this day. We ask your blessings upon the service to follow. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.